and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks for joining us. And today we embark on a new adventure, a new journey. We begin a 17-part series about the attributes of God. We've been talking about this for a little bit. Uh, we're going to base this series off of uh, A.W. Pink's book, The Attributes of God. Easy to remember. And so we're going to kind of follow that as a guide, at least in how what subjects we cover and when we cover them. So the first, very first chapter in this book is entitled The Solid... You know, here's the problem. Uh, so Phil, Phil Allen is here with us, and Phil messed me up before the show began. It's entirely my fault. It is entirely your fault. Uh, so I, I accidentally mispronounced the title of this chapter and came up with a whole different word. Well, you didn't mispronounce it. You said it's solidarity of God. And I think we should have solidarity with God. Yes. But that's not really what we're talking no, about. No, we're talking about the solitariness of God. Yes. In other words, the uniqueness of God. Right. Which I don't know why Pink wouldn't just use the word unique because that's a lot easier to say. Yeah, it is, was, it is actually a word. I don't even know if solitariness is a word. I don't know either. And I think that, and and I was interested to see that Pink used a, a different framework, a different word for it. And I I got to wondering about that. And I wonder what you would think of this, mm. um, because in in my mind, what what Pink is doing with unique with solid solitariness rather, is he's combining uniqueness. And sufficiency. Mm. And, you know, I think there's the idea that God is unique, um, but he could be unique, but not self-sufficient. Mm. Um, and and yet Pink seems to, to tie those together, that he is absolutely unique and absolutely self-sufficient. Right. And it's the merger of those two that in where he uses this solitariness idea. Yeah. I kind of like it. I, 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 I do as well. Uh, but let's back up a second. We're talking about attributes yeah. of God. So here's my question for the uh, coveted pastor, the the doctor <laughs> of theology, uh, Phil Allen, pastor of Daystar Christian Fellowship in South Beloit. I forgot to throw that in there. That's all right. uh, so we're talking about the attributes of God. What what do we mean by attributes? Well, it's really it's really simple. It's just an attribute. That's is, why I asked you, and that's why I have an answer. It's just an attribute of God is something that's true of God. Yeah. So um, God is good. So that's an attribute. Goodness right. is then an attribute of God. Um, so so it's it's not something that's terrible. It's a complex idea. It's a really important idea, yeah. but it's not a complex idea because we're just exploring the things that are true of God. And so it's answering questions like, what is he like? Who, who is he? You know, which are really vital questions. Yeah. And um, we get to those by exploring the attributes that he's shown us that he has. And I wanted to cover this because I think oftentimes our Christianity, our faith can be so personalized mm -hmm. in the sense of everything is skewed in the sense of how does this affect me? Yeah. Even our worship can mm -hmm. focus on what God does for me, for me, for me. And we forget to explore all that God is. And as we study who God is, I think our faith will begin to deepen because every relationship is built upon knowledge. Every relationship is built upon trust. Um, you know, if my wife came up to me and asked me for $5, I'd give it to her. Mm -hmm. If a guy off the street asked me for $5, I, I wouldn't really, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. 
because I know my wife, I don't know this person. Mm -hmm. I have a more intimate relationship with my wife mm -hmm. because I know mm -hmm. not just, you know, the the big things, but the small things, you know, right. what her favorite color is or, or what uh, she likes for dinner. Things that aren't necessarily necessary for our marriage, but necessary for a relationship. Sure. And so I think studying these attributes, while, okay, we don't have to have a theological in-depth knowledge of every one of these things, mm -hmm. it deepens the relationship, deepens the trust we have, and thus heightens our, our faith in general. Yeah, and I think that I think that relational goal is such an important yeah. one in, in any theology, you know, because I was thinking the other day, if you if you think about the struggles we have with theology, th there are a certain set of people that are uninterested in theology. Yeah. And I have a feeling part of the reason they're uninterested in it is because it looks and feels too academic to right. them. It's too intellectual. Um, and then there are those of us who kind of are interested in theology, but because we're interested in it, sometimes we make it too academic right. and intellectual, yeah. and, it, and it just becomes this pursuit of knowledge instead of a pursuit of relationship right. informed by knowledge. And and I think, yeah, that, that relational goal of theology is so crucial. I think that's why, you know, even just recently in the news, we, ha we heard of another a uh, high name pastor that that fell into mm -hmm. sin, and it's easy to separate theology from practice in that sense. In that, yeah. I I know these things, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, I can go out and do things that are horrible, whether it's cheating on my wife or whatever. Or whatever, yeah. And it's because we haven't brought those two ideas together. Theology ought to lead to. Uh, a relational aspect with God that affects all of our life. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're talking about uh, solitariness, and which that's kind of a combination of the uniqueness of God and the sufficiency of God. Um, Pink says it this way in the book, no one is like God. No one can be compared to God or placed on the same level as God. And I, I think of the, you know, I, I woke up every Saturday morning looking forward to cartoons when I was a kid. <laughs> right. In fact, sometimes I still do. Yeah. Uh, I've got kids and I use them as an excuse. But, uh, you know, I remember the little cartoons with the devil on one side and the angel on the other. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're kind of like this in this equal struggle. Uh, I remember even there's a there's a picture out there somewhere on the internet, which is shocking, but uh, of God, or I think it's Jesus and the devil. And they're in this arm wrestling match. And you're mm -hmm. just, ooh, man, that's a struggle. In reality, there we're not in a struggle with Satan. God has won; the victory is yeah. secure. But God and Satan are not co-rivals or co-equals. No. That we hope we just know the good guy wins in the end. Right. But no one can be compared to God. No one can be placed on the same level as God. He is wholly above and beyond his creation. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think you know for some reason he allows a battle. Right, but it's a battle that he allows. Yeah, it's not a battle that he's wondering if he's going to win, or yeah. or it's you know it's all a matter of timing, really. Um, yeah, but I, and I also I, I like I'm not sure if this originated with Pink or not, but this this combination of self-contained, self-sufficient, right. self-satisfied. You know, I came across that a while ago, and and then it's in Pink's book too, and I don't know if. Um, 
if that's where that started, but I think that, that those three ideas, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, yeah. um, get us to that idea. It's a, it's a really interesting idea that God doesn't gain anything from us, which, which is, yeah, I, that's really interesting. I remember years ago, and I just grimaced a little bit because I just realized I'm using the wrong microphone. Okay. But we're not starting over at this point. Um, I remember studying for my ordination years ago. And the big part of that was coming up with my big statement of faith, my mm-hmm. big doctrinal statement. Right. And I included a phrase in, uh, in regards to creation, but God created us because he needed someone mm. to worship him, someone mm-hmm. to praise him. Basically saying God was lonely and needed, yeah, uh, needed attention. Yeah. Now, looking back on that, I think, man, how could I have ever thought that? But I remember studying the scriptures, looking, what's a good verse that backs this? And I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. And it just dawned on me that, no, God doesn't need us. He is self-sufficient. We don't add anything to him. Our praise, our worship even, doesn't add to who God is. He, he doesn't feed off of that right. in any way. Right, and it, you know, obviously that raises some questions yeah. um, about the 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 point of creation, why or the why of creation, right. which honestly I just don't think God answers. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I I remember a time where I was in a class, and and we were talking about this idea of God gaining nothing from us. And yet, you know, the professor went to great lengths to juxtapose or, or say, but, you know, then you have this idea of Jesus who for the joy set before him yeah. endured the cross, you know, and, and we certainly are part of that joy. Right. Um, it, it's a very interesting balance. Yeah. But, but the underlying reality is that God is complete in every aspect in and of himself. Right. That there's nothing outside of him that that helps him, that, that, that changes him or that empowers him, um, that he's absolutely sufficient in and of himself. Let's look at some of these uh, scripture passages as we go to our, our second section here. Um, in the book of Romans chapter 11, we see a, uh, one of my favorite doxologies in uh, the scripture. In Romans, I should have had this verse all ready to go, but... Um, I was just so mesmerized (laughs) by your commentary. No, uh, Romans chapter 11, verses 34 and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has Mm -hmm. given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Then I love verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? Who has given anything that, that God doesn't owe us? anything because we've given him something right and it and it feels like we do yeah you know it feels like and in our worship we're offering him something yeah you know and and i'm and i and i think i think there's a sense in which he benefits from he enjoys us yeah he enjoys our worship he enjoys our devotion i i he enjoys a relationship with us but but within that, he is so magnificent and so huge that that doesn't add something to him that he would have lacked. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes even, you know, I, I get this idea 
that God does owe me something in a works-based religion mm-hmm. that sometimes I fall into when I'm feeling sorry for myself. Look at where I am right now in life. I shouldn't be here. I yeah. shouldn't be struggling with paying the bills. I shouldn't be struggling with whatever temptations I have or whatever outside problems I'm dealing with. Because, God, look at all the things I've done for you. Right. Look at all the things I've given up for you. I've served you X many years, and now this? Right. No. Right, absolutely. All right, Isaiah 45. Um, this whole section of Isaiah is fascinating. Uh, Isaiah 40 through 46, 47. Um, God is almost uh, holding a, a trial in a sense. And he's mm-hmm. saying, here, come over here. Everyone, everyone, listen to me. And who? this is what I've done. Who can do this? Who can... Uh, whatever. So in, in verse uh, verses 15 through 18 in, in chapter 45, truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to, I, yeah, all of them are put to shame um, and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel saved by the Lord, which with, with an everlasting salvation, you shall not be put to shame or confounded for all eternity. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens? He is God. Who formed the earth and made it? He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I am the Lord. Uh, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Um, and he's, he's kind of in, in this, not only just chapter 45, but 44, uh, 46, all of this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's that whole thing. There is no one that could be compared to me. There right. is nobody that can even come close to what I've done. If it come forward, if, if someone is come forward and, and say this, right, and and it takes me back to Exodus fifteen, mm. um, you know, where God, where it says, "Who is like you, O Lord?" Yeah. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Even, you know, and and I think there's kind of an implied even in there, even right. amongst those that people view as as larger than themselves. Who is like you, O God, uh, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and or swallowed them, you know. But that idea of there just isn't anyone right. like this. And even we see that with Jesus as well in Second in First Timothy chapter six, verse sixteen, talking about Christ, who is the sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality who dwells in an unapproachable light who uh, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion he alone is mm-hmm. are these these things so there's no one that can be placed on the same level as as god at all period he is solitary Yes, and I am in solidarity with that <laughs> solitariness. <laughs> all right so talking about dangers to avoid or issues to um, to cover, I think sometimes we, again, in a, in a personalized religion, we try to bring God down our own, on our own level, yeah. uh, almost like a Romans one situation where we have the incarnation where Christ comes down. What makes the incarnation great is this doctrine, mm-hmm. is this attribute mm-hmm. that Christ would come and, and, and be one of us. Yet at the same time, it, it's, there's that kind of tension between, uh, you know, I back in the Old Testament, David is referred to as a friend of God, mm-hmm. and I, I want that relation, that personal relationship right. with God. 
And sometimes I, I, I do that to my own detriment where I've lost this whole idea of the uniqueness of God, the transcendence of God, yeah. where I've brought him down to where he's just my the big guy upstairs or he's my friend down the hall yeah. that I can just share my secrets with and um, forget everything else. Yeah, yeah. And to really, to really, I think, engage theology, I love your word tension. Mm. I think we have to allow some tension right. and some tension between ideas um, right. and as well as, as in, in that sort of, okay, if I'm trying to understand who is this God that I'm trying to get to know, that I'm trying to experience, you have on the one hand the friend of God. You've got yeah. the Abba Father, which is that very intimate right. father relationship, and yet the throne, yet yeah. the power, yet the authority and the majesty that makes him other. And there is a tension there. And, and it's really important for us to embrace that tension and 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 to try to allow both edges of that dynamic to shape the way we interact with them. Right. I think of Hebrews 4, we talk about the throne room yeah. of grace, mm -hmm. where I can boldly go, but at the same time, I'm asking for grace and for mercy. And you're going to the throne. Right. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. amazing that I'm even there. Right. Uh, but the fact that I can get grace and mercy shows that there's going to be some humility here. Right. I can go there, but at the same time, you know, almost, you know, the Isaiah 6 where the very fact that Isaiah was before the throne room of God witnessing this majestic sight, immediately he realizes, I'm, I'm unclean. Yep. Uh, yet he has a conversation with God, yep. which is incredible. Yep. All right, so. Can I add one other danger absolutely. Just before we move on? Just because I got to thinking about it this morning. I, I think we're really prone to try, want to use illustrations yes. for God, yeah. too. And I okay, was, good, because uh, you wrote that in here. Yeah. Because I didn't write that, and I was wondering, did I just... Pull that over from a different thing. I was, okay, good. I was thinking good. in terms of the Trinity, you know, and, yeah. and we have all of these illustrations of the Trinity, an egg, shell, yolk, right. white, three and one, you know, but it's really important to understand those break down. Oh, yeah. Our illustrations yeah. don't work right. and they don't work because of the solitariness of God, because right. he is so unique. There is no illustration for him. There's nothing that is like him enough that really conveys him. And so as we're trying to grasp these ideas and, and use illustrations to further our understanding, it's really important to know those break yeah. down and it's okay that they break down. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, it's always a joke every time I cover the Trinity in my theology class, we go through some of these illustrations, just, they just don't work. Right. Um, and if, there is no perfect illustration. There can't no, be. There can't be, or God wouldn't be solitary. Right. There is a, you know, as my Lutheran friends would say, there's a mystery. Yes. About that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how do we apply this? How do we make this practical? Well, one one way that I thought of is, you know, it's important to remember that we can only know God as insofar as He reveals Himself. Right. That and think emphasizes this in that chapter. He, he does, and that. You know, it, it points us so directly to the importance of God's word, of, of engaging him in his word yeah. and seeking him in his word and, and, and allowing him to shape our understanding right. of him. Um, because he is so unique, we cannot come up with him on our own. And I think we try to in that sometimes our, our view of God is God is just a compilation of all the good 
attributes I can think of. Mm-hmm. He's just like the highest example of that. Yeah, right. But what I've done is I've just defined God for himself, and, I, and I've made him a person after my own image. It, and that's so vital, you know, to to say that we're created in God's image right. is true. But to say that he bears our image is not true. Yeah. It's, it's not a reciprocal relationship where he created us in his image, so he has our image. That's not how it right. works. Um, we bear his image, but he does not bear ours. And yeah. trying to define him in terms of ourselves is just misunderstanding yeah. him fundamentally. I also wrote down here, just sometimes we just need to stop yeah. and just be in awe of this amazing God, yeah. this awesome God, and, and just contemplate that for a few moments. Yeah. Without trying to ha- figure out how this all, just wow. Yeah, just, just be awestruck. Just be struck. Yeah. All right. So recommendations for going uh, further. Of course, we're good, again we're going through the book Attributes of God by A. W. Pink. Phil, do you have anything to to add to Pink's book? The other one that I would add is is also called the Attributes of God, but it's the Attributes of God: A Journey into the Father's Heart by A. W. Mm. Tozer. Um, I that one is also yeah. a very good book and. And, and draws out some of the relational aspects of theology, right. I think, quite well. And we're going to be mentioning that book in our next section as well, because I, I was going through that the last night. I, I forgot I had that. Mm-hmm. And it really is. Uh, Tozer is, is great at uh, looking at things from a devotional view, yeah. yet still solidly theological right. as well. And I want to add in uh, The Existence and Attributes of God by Stephen Sharnock, which is it's a rough read. Mm-hmm. It's a tough read, but I think it's worth it. Um, he gets into some arguments for God's existence, some of the more classic arguments. Um, but the second section of the book gets into more of God's attributes and his section here on sovereignty. Uh, or, or not sovereignty, but um, solid, not solidarity. Solitary. The uniqueness of God. I'm, <laughs> I'm going with uniqueness. Um, I, as you read through all of it, it just it just sticks out. And, and Charnock does a good job of doing that. Um, I also mentioned here Desiring God by mm-hmm. Piper, which is not a necessarily a systematic theology book or doesn't go through the attributes of God. But reading that book helped me to enjoy God and appreciate God more mm-hmm. and focus on his complete uh, separation from me. His, his, this, is, this is a God I can, in a sense, gush over. This is a God that I can enjoy and love and be in awe of. Right. All right, well, that's just our first taste of the attributes of God. We're going to continue this for the next 16 weeks. Actually, probably a little more because we'll have an uh, an interruption every once in a while. Uh, So come back next week. We'll be talking about, I believe it's the decrees of God. And uh, Brian Hansen will be here to talk about that. And so if you haven't got the book, get the book. You can actually get it online for free if you don't want to pay the money. It doesn't cost a whole lot either. It's a pretty small book and bite-sized pieces. So until next week, have a great rest of your week. Mm-hmm.